I want to begin tonight by just acknowledging the state of awe that I keep experiencing in the last couple of days. I've just arrived back from being away for a couple of months. During that time, you know, I traveled to some beautiful places, uh, received incredible teachings, and still, in coming back here, uh, it's just been breathtaking to walk into this community, to be in this place, you know, a place that not just has uh, natural beauty, but is a place that has been you know, built upon strong intentionality and seems so rare and precious in the world that we live in. It might be so striking to me because I feel a little bit more in touch with the fragility of life, having spent time in Asia where there's so much poverty, people are struggling for basic survival, and where the life and death process isn't masked over, and to know that at any moment the circumstances of life can change. And so it feels so precious to come here, to experience the stillness that's here, a stillness that's not just an absence of sound, but a stillness that comes through people coming here and practicing deeply. I know, too, that this silence, this stillness, can be confronting. There's the statement that everywhere you go, there you are. And we come into this place of stillness, silence, and we're really faced with what's happening in our own minds. But it allows us this opportunity not to be distracted, not to be caught up in other aspects of life that can either be very pleasurable, pleasant, or just, you know, the basis of needing to provide for ourselves. Here, things are taken care of. Seems like such a precious opportunity, such a blessing, a blessing for myself, being here. The Buddha was once asked, what is a person's highest wealth? What well-practice will happiness bring? What taste excels all other tastes? How lived is the life they say is best? He responded by saying, Faith is a person's highest wealth. Dhamma, well-practiced, shall bring happiness. Truth, indeed, exceeds all other tastes. Life wisely lived, they say, is best. He was then asked, how does one cross over the flood? How is the ocean's existence crossed? How is one's suffering quelled? How is one purified? He responded by saying, by faith are currents crossed. By diligence is the ocean crossed. By effort is one's suffering quelled. 
by wisdom is one purified. The practice that we're doing here includes faith, diligence, effort, wisdom. Tonight I would like to speak about faith, our greatest wealth, and that which helps us cross over the turbulence, the dukkha, the suffering that we experience in life. And this faith takes us on a journey of awakening. Faith is where we touch into a sense of possibility, a sense of possibility of living in a way where we're not just perpetuating pain and suffering, but having a sense that there is some inherent goodness in life, there is a possibility that we can embody, embrace, and live from this place of inherent goodness, that we can be deeply in touch with this goodness. This faith is something that we all have or we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have set aside our lives in the way that we have in order to come here. We wouldn't have the patience to be with this, what is often an unruly mind, if we didn't have some sense of possibility. Each of us may have experienced this sense of possibility in different ways. It may be something that arose as a child. You know, we may have been like the Buddha, who once sitting in a garden fell into a deep state of meditation, never having been given any instruction before. It may be that we had these own moments in our life where we weren't so caught up in the franticness. We weren't caught up in a space of survival. But we touched something deep within ourselves. It may be at a time when we met someone who inspired us, whom we just, I remember in my late teens meeting somebody who I knew was living in a different way to most people. And in just meeting that person, something was sparked. There was some sense of possibility. If we begin to listen to these moments, to really let them in and trust that there's something that is true in these moments, they become a strong motivating force in our lives. They don't have to be big moments to have this force. They can happen through small incidents. But as they come back to mind, as they're called to mind, it brings about this sense of possibility. Faith is actually something that is not so often spoken of in Buddhist teachings because we often hear of the practice being described as ehipasako, 
or it means come and see. It's very much a come and see. Look for yourself. You know, the Buddha often said this, come and see. Don't, you know, not to just believe in what he was saying, but to really come and know the truth for ourselves. For some of us, for myself anyways, this had a lot of appeal. Having struggled prior, earlier in my life, with beliefs and finding, finding myself bound within beliefs, feeling constricted by beliefs and faith, it felt very freeing to come to this practice from the place of exploration, from the place of inquiry. And yet, the Buddha gave a lot of importance to the quality of faith, so much so that he placed it in the five spiritual faculties, or the five spiritual powers in the mind that need to be awakened, need to be aroused and developed fully in order for awakening to occur. And so sometimes it can seem like a paradox how this can be a practice of looking for ourselves, deep inquiry, and how at the same time there is this quality of faith, this quality that needs to be cultivated, needs to be present, needs to motivate us. So in order to clarify this, I'd like to speak a little bit about the word faith itself and how it's used in Buddhist teachings, because this can be contradictory or somewhat different to what ideas we may have about what faith is. The word in Pali is sada and it means to place one's heart upon. It's to give ourselves over to that which is trustworthy, that which is reliable. To give ourselves over to this inherent goodness to give ourselves over to this possibility of living in a way that embodies wisdom and compassion. And this placing our hearts upon embraces the qualities of trust, confidence, devotion, and a clarity of mind that is able to dispel doubt. I'd like to speak a little bit about each of these qualities. Trust is really critical in the unfolding of our hearts and minds. Because without trust, we will never be able to let go. We will never be able to step into the unknown. We will never be able to realize the unconditioned because we live in this world where we're wanting control, wanting to hang on, feeling insecure, feeling vulnerable. And it's only trust 
that holds within it that ease, that deep relaxation that can let go, that can trust, that can be at peace with the way things are. Trust means to rely on without fear or misgiving. One of um, the misguided habits that we often have in our lives is to rely on that which feels solid, is rational, and can be scientifically proven. This can be where we have a tendency to trust, to place our faith. And yet, this is keeping the mind on the conceptual level. And we need to go deeper than the conceptual level. We need to be able to let go into that which is unfabricated, that which is unconditioned. And so that requires us to get in touch with a very basic level of trust that is this intuitive sense. And this intuitive sense is something that we can't be taught through language. Sometimes we might meet somebody who embodies this trust, and that helps to instill trust in ourselves, in our own possibility. But it's not, you know, even to bring words to this quality of trust, it can't point directly to it. Because that's on the conceptual level. And this inherent basic trust is something that's preconceptual, where we really know that life is good. There is this basic goodness. There's one experience that um, I've had in my own life which really has a similar quality to it, you know, kind of a tangible sense of what trust feels like when we're in touch with it. And it's one I only just recently had, so it's quite vivid in my mind. And it's that of laying in a warm ocean with the salt water and the buoyancy and just laying there and letting oneself be held. And this is what trust feels like. When we experience trust in our practice, there isn't a sense of having to manipulate, having to do our experience. At times in practice, we might be sitting and even feeling like the body is being held on a cellular level as if each cell is just held by existence. And when we experience trust, this is what we experience. There's no aversion, there's no fear, there's no pushing away. We just simply relax into our experience. We trust in the unfolding of our experience. And this trust doesn't mean that experiences 
always going to be good, always going to be pleasant, always going to be the way we want it to. But we trust that life brings to us what we need. Sometimes we need harsh lessons. Sometimes we need gentle lessons. We trust that what is happening is the place where awakening can occur. When we trust, we let go of the striving. We let go of trying to prove ourselves. When there's lack of trust, we're so caught up in this feeling, the need to control, the needing to prove ourselves, and feeling inadequate. But basic trust allows us to be okay with what is right now. I'd like to read part of a poem by Wendell Berry. This is from a poem called The Wild Geese. In the ancient faith, what we need is here, and we pray not for new earth or heaven, but to be quiet in heart and in eye clear. What we need is here. And when we have trust, we know this. What we need is here. And our practice is just opening up to this truth. What we need is here. As we relax, as we find more ease, we get more in touch with this quality of trust. As we find trust, we also find that our confidence grows. We become more confident in our ability to open to life and life itself. And confidence differs from when we have pride or arrogance. It's more in having confidence in that which we place our hearts upon. We really begin to see for ourselves that which is trustworthy, that which is reliable. And we have confidence. At first it might feel tenuous and we have moments where the confidence is strong and then we lose our confidence. But if we stay steady in these moments, if we can just keep turning up for our experience, keep bringing mindfulness to our experience, we learn to be with all aspects of experience. We learn how to be steady in the constantly changing flow of this body-mind process. And we gain confidence. Fa- 
also has within it, besides trust, confidence, the quality of devotion. We find that as we sit here and practice, that this quality of devotion may at times come forth strongly. It can happen in times where we experience a lot of gratitude, a great appreciation for these teachings, this practice, our teachers. Um, It might be moments where we experience something in a totally new way, some aspect of life that we have been caught up in, and suddenly we find a moment of freedom with it. We might find in these moments devotion flows. I'd like to share a story about a great Thai forest master, Ajahn Man. And this story comes from the evening of his full enlightenment. And this is spoken about the time just after his enlightenment. Throughout the remainder of that night, Ajahn Man considered with a sense of dismay how pathetically ignorant he had been in the past, being dragged endlessly from one existence to another like a puppet. He wept as he thought of how he finally had come upon a pool of crystal clear, wondrous tasting water. He had reached that sparkling pool of pure Dhamma that the Buddha and his disciples encountered and then proclaimed to the world over 2,500 years ago. Having at long last encountered, encountered it himself, he tirelessly paid heartfelt homage, prostrating himself over and over again to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Should people have seen him then, tears streaming down his face as he prostrated over and over again, surely they would have assumed that this monk was suffering immensely, shedding tears so profusely. They probably would have suspected him of beseeching the guardian spirits, living in all direction, to help ease his pain, or else of being on the verge of madness, for his behavior was extremely unusual. In fact, he had just arrived at the truth of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, with the utmost clarity, as epitomized in the maxim, He who sees the Dhamma sees the Buddha and thus abides in the presence of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Ajahn Man was simply engaged in the kind of conduct befitting someone who is overwhelmed by a sincere sense of gratitude. We may have had our own moments like this in practice, where we're so deeply moved and this quality of gratitude and devotion comes forth. It may spontaneously arise, and at times we may turn our minds towards the quality of devotion, which can be a way of invoking the embodiment of Buddha nature. We can do this at times through simply bowing, bowing to the Buddha, bowing to a realized being. It may be that we come in contact with this quality of devotion through chanting, 
It may inspire our practice. It may help us to align with the sense of possibility. Sometimes our teachers play a crucial role in the cultivation of devotion. Only recently, and the last few months, I spent some time with a teacher named Minjur Rinpoche, a Tibetan teacher. And he's a man um, that, to me, just naturally brought forth this quality of devotion. He embodies so deeply the qualities of wisdom, compassion, and has this ability to help turn another's mind towards this inherent capacity. And I've just found in his presence this quality of devotion very naturally arising. And you know, sometimes just to have a being like that in our lives, when we lose the sense of possibility in ourselves, if we bring to mind this being, it can help to remind us. It can help bring alive this um, possibility of realizing our own Buddha nature. Devotion can also be a way of breaking open our hearts. And we keep ourselves so protected. And yet, in the presence of love, our hearts naturally open. We find in our practice that we can also have strong devotion to the truth. And this devotion to the truth really keeps us engaged in our practice, really keeps alive and vital this sense of inquiry, of discovery, looking to see for ourselves. We want to keep aligned with this sense of truth. This enables us to bring care and dedication to our practice to just how we sit, that we don't sit with apathy, but we sit because it holds within it this great possibility to know freedom, this great possibility to look within our own hearts and minds to see how it is that we keep getting caught in suffering and feeling separate and alienated, rather than being able to rest in this trust. So devotion can bring a lot of energy to our practice, can bring a lot of juice to our practice, so that it isn't a dry practice, but is an engaging practice, where we really give our hearts over to this journey of awakening. And when we have these qualities of trust, devotion, and confidence, there comes a clarity of mind that is able to dispel doubt. We're no longer uncertain about why we're doing 
what we're doing. There's a great clarity to it. We aren't plagued by doubt, by self-doubt, by not this idea of not being good enough, not being, not having the capacity to know goodness. But we have a clarity of mind that can see clearly, that knows we aren't this small, separate self. We find with this there comes conviction. We settle into a willingness to be with the process. No matter what the process brings, no matter how many times we do forget, we find that this, um, there comes this conviction that brings a steadiness. So faith, as it's spoken of in Buddhist teachings, has these qualities of trust, confidence, devotion, and a clarity of mind that can dispel doubt. We can get some understanding of how faith works, how, you know, faith is what brings us to practice and what helps us to keep going. When we look at the learning of anything in our lives, if we look back to learning to walk as a child, you know, at first we were a child, infant, just sitting on the floor, laying on the floor. And we looked around at the world around us, and we saw all of these bigger beings who were able to do this fairly miraculous action of moving from one place to another. And then in the scene of this, at some point we tasted of the possibility or had some sense that if they can do that, so can I. And so then, in one moment, we may have taken our first step out of that sense of possibility. And it may be that as a child we took one step and we fell down. But then that faith pulled us back up again, got us back on our feet, got us taking another step and another step until we could walk. And faith works the same way in our practice. We come, we sit down, there's some sense of possibility, and so we apply our mind, we apply our attention, we turn up for our experience. And it may be that, you know, we're present for one breath and then we get lost. But then again comes that sense of possibility of not needing to live in such a confused way, not needing to live lost in the stories of our life. And we remember that sense of possibility. And so we come back over and over again. And so our faith carries us in our journey. It helps support us. It keeps us going. 
our faith gets obstructed by the conceptual mind, by holding beliefs about the way things are. And we find that as we practice, we become confronted by our beliefs, by this conceptual mind. We may begin to see in our practice how much of the time we're trying to make ourselves feel more secure, trying to keep our experience within our control. And we do it in little ways in our practice. You know, we we try to control our environment, just the temperature of the body, being uh, afraid to be cold or being afraid to be warm. We're always trying to hold ourselves within what's a comfortable world. And we get constricted, we get separated from holding ourselves in this way. We notice in our practice how the story of our life comes back to us over and over again, and how this story is so confining. And yet we can at times feel a comfort because this story too is known to us. We construct beliefs about the world that help us to feel safer, help us to feel more secure. But our faith must be deeper than any of our beliefs. When faith is just based upon our beliefs, such as if we do the practice in a certain way, we'll have a specific result, then we can set ourselves up for uh, disillusionment feelings of betrayal. I was recently watching a program about death, and this program was following uh, the lives of three women who were dying of cancer and the treatment they were receiving. One story really struck me. This woman was about in her late 70s, and she had very strong faith in God. She, in the beginning of the program, was you know, speaking about how strong her faith was and how she felt when she died she would go have eternal life. And yet you could see in the way that she was facing her illness that um, she was afraid. She was very fearful. She wasn't able to let go. She was desperately clinging to her life because she had been caught up in an intellectual belief system rather than touching into this deep quality of trust.
So in our practice, we will at times be faced with some of the belief systems we have. And in these moments, it's to have the willingness to let go of the intellectual ideas, let go of the conceptual mind, and just allow ourselves to meet life directly and immediately, and to just rest in the knowing of our experience, to really keep our practice very, very simple, not needing to be creating, uh, conjuring up certain states, certain experiences, but to just be resting in the awareness of experience itself. And we find that we can trust in this awareness. Buddhism uh, speaks of faith having three stages to it. The first stage is that where we have what's called bright faith. And that's where the sense of possibility arises. It may arise through another person, teachings, a book that we read that deeply inspires us. And through this we might feel very light, happy, confident, no, it can be a great upsurge of energy. And at that time, we can actually become quite intoxicated by it if we don't learn to move into the second stage, which is that of verified faith. And verified faith is really where we come to have our own deep level of trust in moments. It's not that we always live in this place of trust, confidence, clarity of mind, but we have moments where we touch into it, where for a moment we see things just the way they are. And then we come to the third stage of faith which is where we have what's called unshakable faith. And this is where doubt becomes uprooted. We no longer get caught in, I can't do it, this practice isn't right, this teachings aren't right. We have confidence in what we place our hearts upon.
So the three stages of faith, the bright awakening of faith, where we feel the lightness, the inspiration, the sense of possibility. The second stage being verified faith, when we start to have our own direct experience. And the third being that of unshakable faith, where our confidence is unwavering. Many of us often think that faith is something that we either have or we don't have. But this isn't what the Buddha taught. He taught that it can actually be cultivated, that we can encourage it in our minds and hearts. And this is what we do in the practice. We create the conditions that help to strengthen this sense of possibility. In doing so, we need to tend to our gardens. We need to relax into the way the process is unfolding. As if we liken faith to the tending to a garden, we know that when we plant a garden, we can't force it to grow. Similarly, we can't force awakening. We can't um, hasten our unfolding. We need to relax back into it. We need to trust in the timing of it. We need to let the Dhamma reveal itself and not be prodding, pushing, poking. This doesn't mean we don't apply effort. We be diligent in turning up as best we can. We sit, we walk, we bring mindfulness to everything that we do in a day. But we don't ultimately have control over the unfolding of it. But we learn to relax with whatever our experience is. We learn to let this be enough, just this breath, this sensation, resting in the knowing of this experience not needing to modify it, not needing to have a better experience. But we learn to have faith that this we le- is enough. What we need is already here. Remembering back to that, that feeling of laying in a warm ocean, Letting ourselves be held by the Dhamma. Letting ourselves be carried. And just looking to see that which obstructs us. But not needing to be identified, caught in the story of it. To know that we just get lost at times. And then to see if we can't relax. Trust trusting in the power of awareness, trusting in the inherent goodness, the lawfulness of life, trusting that what we are is enough, 
And yet, it does happen that on this journey, there are times when doubt becomes very strong. And this is what happens. Because we are confronting beliefs that we hold, we are confronting conceptual ways of holding the world, and this can throw us into fear, doubt, anxiety. But if we continue to keep looking, we will find that which is unshakable. So when doubt arises, not to feel that it's arising because we're not a good practitioner, we're not good enough, but simply to be able to recognize doubt in the mind, a feeling of inadequacy, insecurity, a sense of not being able to trust. And in those moments, to see if one can't recognize that, and then to look to what the immediacy is of our experience, and then to just rest in the awareness of our experience. I'd like to share a teaching from Rainier Rilke. I would like to beg you to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers which could not be given to you now because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then, someday far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. Our practice is living our way into the answer, not letting ourselves be caught in the the doubt, the speculation, the trying to figure out, but simply relaxing into things just as they are. So let's sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.